Welcome to Ease, the entertainment and showbiz experiences podcast. It's all things entertainment based, how to get into it and how to develop it into something once you are ready to move on. All the information people didn't tell you, forgot to tell you, or were too busy to tell you, all told through personal experiences. On this week's episode, Associate Director and Mentor Jill Hillier lets us inside her hugely creative world from dancer to choreographer and beyond. She lets us know why keeping your contacts close is important, responding to your emails, and her top five favorite jobs she's ever done. Let's take a listen to this week's one-on-one. Okay, Jill. Um, Tell me about growing up and decisions you made to start performing. Uh, Well, I was super lucky. My mother was a dancer and she actually started um, taking jazz when jazz was just beginning in New York City. Um, So she took from the originators such as Arlie Peterson and Matt Maddox um, and Luigi and they didn't even use um, music. They used, well, it was music, but they didn't use recordings. They used a live combo in the corner. Um, So she was in studios above Carnegie Hall and that's how she grew up. So when she moved uh, to Ohio to go to college, she met my father and um, ended up in Ohio. She opened a dance studio, and that dance studio happened to be in the basement of my house. So literally from the time I could walk, um, I would walk down those stairs and dance. So since two, since the age of two, my very first performance was um, as a Playboy bunny singing 101 Pounds of Fun (laughs) with my best friend, Kristen Joy. Um, And the pictures are amazing because my knee socks are falling down and it was great. But um, I have always known this is all I've ever wanted to do. There was absolutely zero question in my mind. Um, I was also lucky because she studied in in New York she would take her advanced students um, to New York to study every summer. So Mm -hmm. I got a taste of what professional classes were like at a very young age. Um, And that opened lots of doors for me when I wanted to make that move because I kept those connections. So, so yeah, so it was really, it was in my basement. (laughs) There was no way around it. And thank goodness I loved it. So that was my, my beginnings. Absolutely. Yeah. And you said names (laughs) that are, kind I studied as well Luigi that was some techniques that I really 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 loved what about those styles did you think is different than right now than what's happening in the world right um now? what it what was the greatest thing about like Luigi for instance is the lines the jazz lines um the extension of the lines and I feel that a little bit that is lost now is um, that type of training gets you ready for all styles. Um, The basic technique of it, but the really the creation of lines in the upper body and the posture and the energy that flows through the arms, through the hands, and that just makes you a really strong dancer all around. And I think, you know, our warm-ups were long. You know, I remember class back in New York, would be two and a half hours long because your warm up was 45 minutes. Then you did an adagio. Then you went across the floor for a half an hour. And then you did your combination at the end of class. And right. that's how class was. That's how jazz class was. And there was isolations and all of that in there. I feel like what's happened now, and obviously there's some amazing dancers out there, but what's happening now is we're kind of skipping the warm up. And so we're skipping through some of those basic lines um, that are created in a warm up, those jazz postures. Sure. And um, and I just kind of feel like that style 
that you use on Broadway, that you use on cruise ships, you use in theme parks, you use in industrials, um, gets a little bit lost because there's no muscle memory for it. Um, mm-hmm. You can dance fast and do hip hop and hit things really strong. Um, but when it comes to like a musical theater type combination or a jazz combination, um, it's just not as precise and specific, I think, as it used to be. No. So there's there's a warm up is so important. Oh, absolutely. No, that's some, um, I think I might be on the end of like the Luigi train, but that's the same thing that happened in my classes. We spent quite a while warming up and doing those eight into ones with those jazz combos that were in the corner. Of course, now they were recordings, but yeah, I felt that there's a lot of great strength in that training. You said, you mentioned mentioned going to New York, how visiting it now versus back then, even in the entertainment industry, what differences, differences do you see from back when you were training there to now? Um, you know, it was when I was a kid, it was really exciting because there was um, a teacher named Ron Farella and all of Bob Fosse's dancers were Ron Farella's dancers. So I'll never forget as a kid being like seven, eight, nine years old and going and taking class there. And, and he did not allow children. I was one of the only kids that he allowed to take class. And seeing I'd be in class with Linda Haberman. I'd yeah. be in class with cool. some of the best Fosse dancers out there. And then at night, we would go see Broadway shows and we would go see dancing and we would go see these amazing shows. And those dancers that I was taking class with were on stage on Broadway. And there's just nothing more inspiring for a kid. Um, I think the difference now is if I go to watch a class or see a class or observe a class um, or even take a class anywhere, whether it's New York or LA, um, you don't really see the professionals taking class anymore. Hmm. I think Broadway dancers more so now take ballet. They'll okay, go and yeah. take a ballet class. Mm-hmm. But, and I don't know if it's because there's just not a jazz class um, other than maybe a, a, a master class. You know, sure. if there's a guest teacher that comes in and everybody wants to take their class, you know, to to be seen. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, they'll take more of a ballet class. But there, there's just not those classes um, that you would be so starry-eyed that right. kids would be able to see these amazing dancers taking class to inspire them to be that, you know. No, you're right. I really do feel like that same way, too. I feel like I can go to Steps and I could see professional ballerinas, people on Broadway that they're taking classes at Steps in these like really hard ballet classes that are offered. But I feel like maybe in L.A. there's there's a there's a bigger I don't know. Maybe I just haven't looked enough in New York, but there's a bigger variety of classes, especially jazz classes. I know Doug's class was really, really highly attended when he was teaching. Um, yeah. But yeah, I can see it out there a ton. Um, so you were training in New York. Did you go to school or did you think that you wanted to go straight into performing or how was your path getting into it? Um, well, my dad was an educator, mm-hmm. so I definitely did not want to go to college. But my dad basically said, um, you have to go to college <laughs> or you get nothing. <laughs> and I worked as a kid. I was my dad instilled in me a great work ethic. So I, you know, I worked at Pizza Hut. I worked at a insurance company. I saved my money, but I did not have enough money saved to just go move to New York. So I did go to Indiana University. I went for two years. Mm -hmm. They had a really great ballet department, which was my weak point. I was definitely more jazz oriented, but knew that I needed that strong ballet. 
So Jean-Pierre Bonifou from the New York City Ballet had just taken over their ballet department. And so I did go there for two years. Um, the cool thing about it was we did have guest artists from New York City Ballet come perform the Nutcracker with us. Nice. So Gelsey Kirkland came one year. Wow. Um, and yeah, it was so that was really, really cool because... I was on point next to these amazing right. ballet dancers, <laughs> but it was not for me. <laughs> so yeah. I worked really hard during those two years and saved my money. And, um, my, one of the ballet teachers there had a rent controlled apartment in New York city and said, knew that I was miserable and basically just said, Hey, you can go stay in our apartment. It's empty while we're here. Um, $500 a month. It Whoa. was on 83rd and Central Park West. Whoa. It was a beautiful apartment right there. And uh, so I moved and I got a job waitressing on the, there was Cooper's Cafe was right on the corner. I got a job the day I moved and I went on scholarship with Michelle Asoff. She was one of the teachers I took from yep. when I was a kid going every summer. Mm -hmm. So I had my classes covered. I had some money coming in. I had a little bit in the bank and because um, I knew I wasn't going to get anything from my parents. Right. So um, which was great. I'm so grateful that my parents said that because it made me work really hard. But um, so, yeah. And then that was it. I, I only really had to wait tables and do some temp work for like the first two years here and there in between things. God, but I've good. been very lucky that I haven't had to do much else. Yeah, that's really good. Two years. I'm a firm believer the same way. I feel like college is for some people and college is not for some people. So spending two years, I when I'm when I talk to people and they're like, what did you do? And I said, I went to college and I got my BFA and they're like, do you think it's important? How do you stand on college degrees and or just going out and performing and taking classes in New York and L.A. or anywhere, for instance? I actually I have a lot of parents when I teach classes ask me this question and I just really, truly believe that um in general, being on this side of the table as a choreographer director, I never look at somebody's resume as you would in another job and go, oh, they had have a degree in dance from this university, so therefore I'm more likely to hire them. I don't think right. that exists in, in the dance performance part sure. of entertainment. Mm -hmm. I think it exists in other aspects, but not that one. Mm -hmm. However, that being said, if you are an immature, and I don't mean immature, maybe young is the better word. Okay. Yeah. If you're a young 18-year-old and you haven't traveled a lot, you haven't been to many places, um, you don't have a lot of life experience with work or whatever it may be, or you come from a smaller town, there's nothing wrong with going to school for a couple of years just to grow up, just to right. be a little more independent, move out of the house. Um, and if you were to get a full degree, a four-year degree, I just wouldn't get it in, in dance. I would get sure. it in something else, business. So if you want to open a studio someday, you have uh, business management or computer or something else. Um, keeping up with your dance classes, obviously, along the way. But a lot of dance, especially jazz, I think modern is definitely a different story in mm -hmm. universities it's much better mm -hmm. but for jazz and musical theater or even what you would do commercially many colleges don't offer what you really need so you're definitely going to get more of what you need being out in LA right. or New York taking class but if you're not ready you're not ready so you know there's nothing wrong with continuing your training, but getting a degree, I would just suggest getting a degree in something else. Right.
No, I think you're right. I think that the something like ballet or modern is de- you can definitely hone your mm-hmm. skill a little bit more in college. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, I was in L.A. The, you that what you went to an audition, you had no idea what you were going to do. And sometimes college couldn't even prepare you for what they were going to ask you to do. Um, you know, 16 counts of eight of hip hop b-boy improv and you've never you know even considered b-boying and you know you just do it because it's they're telling you to do it so you're i think that's well and yeah and and it's also a lot of universities are not giving you what you're like dancers now need a reel they need a website Mm -hmm. they need so you know if if a university offered those things but to my knowledge there are not that many schools who even know because they don't have teachers who have life experience right. in the business so they're not even knowing what to offer right. however there's quite a few intensives now yeah. that offer this type of training and you're you're better off getting it from that yeah. um, type of thing sure yeah going to college or going to school and then you know taking those summers or those breaks and taking those summer intense or those intensive dance intensives. I know Casey has one and she's doing really great with it and everything. Yep. I see all her things. Um, But like you said, you were in New York. So what, after you spent two years waiting tables, how, what did you do after? Where were you going? What did you, what did you say your eyes on? Um, at, well, at first I definitely thought I wanted to do Broadway because okay. of that, those summers that I spent. Um, as a kid, it was, I thought, oh, I definitely want to be a Broadway dancer. That was my aspiration. So I did, um, a lot of summer stock, which okay. is, mm-hmm. you know, you don't get paid a lot, but you sure. get points towards getting your equity card. Right. Cause then you can go to the better auditions. Mm-hmm. So I did summer stock. I did, um, some How theme many points, parks in the summer. How many points did you need back then to, to get your equity card? Your, your, I think to, it's called like equity. to be totally honest, I don't remember because what I ended up doing <laughs> is doing Sesame Street Live. Sesame Street Live offered equity cards at the time. So a friend of mine had done it and she actually had a blast. So she was like, Jill, audition for Sesame Street Live and get your equity card. Come back. You'll have money in your pocket and then you can go to the better auditions in New York. So that's what I did. I ended up um, doing Sesame Street Live and I was Ernie and um, had a blast and did all those things. Traveled the U.S., saved my money. Um, and got my equity card. So then when I moved back to New York, I had my equity card so I can go to the better auditions and Mm -hmm. get the better paying jobs. Right. Um, and then, um, after doing some regional off Broadway type Broadway shows, Mm -hmm. I realized that I really didn't love it because I wasn't a good enough singer to have a lead role. I was always in the chorus. Yeah. And for a lot of Broadway type shows, the chorus is more off stage than they're on stage. Right. And I wanted to dance more. So I thought I maybe I should move out to LA. Maybe LA is better for me. But I just didn't have the money saved up. So that's when I decided to do a cruise ship. So oh, okay. I did a cruise ship. Um, I did Norwegian. Um, and that was another opportunity for me. Um, I actually assisted Michelle Asoff, the, the teacher I had in New York. And, um, so it was a great assisting opportunity for me to do that for the first time. And then I saved enough money so that I could move to LA. And then once I got to LA and started doing more commercial type work, then I was more satisfied creatively as a dancer than, than the Broadway route. 
Yeah, you've always been like a mover. I never see you really sit down. Like you always wanted to be active. So I could see that transition to L.A. was probably really good for you. When you moved to L.A., what did you do out here, out in L.A.? So L.A., um, one, another, like, I guess the lesson here is keep contacts you've made throughout your life close because they always pay off. Yep. (laughs) So um, one of the summers in New York um, with Michelle Asoff, um, there was an Italian dancer named Luca Tomasini, and we ended up uh, working a job in Italy together. And he was on tour with Whitney Houston. And I ran into him and he said he needed a roommate in Los Angeles. And uh, that's when I was like, perfect opportunity. I had an apartment to go to. I had a roommate and he was on tour. So he, I was going to have this place to settle in on my own. So that was kind of how it sort of fell into place um, Mm -hmm. because I didn't have to move out and then live on somebody's couch. I actually had an apartment. Um, So I moved out to LA and then um, through a lot of dancers that I knew from New York that were in LA at the time, like Terry Beeman, he was um, dancing with Paula Abdul and um, Melanie Gage and a lot of dancers had made their way out there. So once again, just through the audition process, um, getting to know the in circle of dancers and choreographers, um, I did a few Disney jobs. I did a few um, music videos, those type of things. And mm-hmm. then I guess my my big moment was um, when Jamie King hired me to dance for Prince at his nightclub and then on the American nice. Music Awards. And yeah, so that was kind of like my I guess my my big moment of feeling like I made it in yeah, L.A. Um, of course. But um, and I, I did. I just liked the lifestyle better. I liked the sunshine. I liked just the, the life, just the lifestyle in general. And, uh, the type of work for dancers, um, for me was just, was just preferable overall. Yeah, of course. I mean, LA and New York, they're, I mean, completely polar opposites. I mean, LA's just weather alone. LA's so much warmer and you can feel the sunshine all the time. And then New York has all those buildings. So it gets cold and windy and there's a lot of people. So, I mean, of course, you, you, it's, it's <laughs> apples and oranges, yes. but I mean, there's great things about both. Right. But I know you were talking about Prince and Whitney Houston. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Um, So you, after you said, maybe I'm done performing, what was going through your mind? What did you want to do? What did you think you could do after performing? So I, um, what really kind of triggered me not wanting to, it wasn't that I didn't want to perform anymore. Mm-hmm. It was, I didn't want to audition anymore. Um, that is what a was very changing, good case ugh, because yeah. the audition sometimes can get over. That's the most overwhelming part. Your nerves and your hate, you know, getting ready and all of that routine sometimes just gets old and I get it. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard. And I in, in L.A., a lot of it has to do with fashion and yep. all that and what you wear. And so I just started feeling a little bit like I just wasn't enjoying the audition process. And um, it, the demographic was changing also that sure. the industrials that my type of look and dancer was not needed as much. And so I thought I really got to start thinking about what I want to do. I knew that I, I did enjoy assisting when I had the opportunity to to assist Michelle Asoff mm-hmm. um, for the cruise ship. And I kind of was always dance captain in every instance that I ever had as a dancer or company manager or whatnot. So I thought this would be 
that might be something for me to work on um, and like Jamie King and that kind of stuff. But once again, I wanted to kind of get my head straight. So I decided to do another cruise ship. And that okay. was when I did um, Hall in America. Mm-hmm. So um, I did that and I met my now husband and that company at the time, which was called Production Central, they asked me, would I be interested when I got off the ship from doing my contract, would I be interested in teaching the shows right. to future right. casts? And r- right there, the big bell went off and I was like, oh, this is perfect. This is a perfect transition. Mm-hmm. And so when I got off the ship, that's exactly what I did. I started teaching the shows and then John Sharon was their new choreographer and he immediately started using me as an assistant Um and then kind of the rest is history as far as the cruise ships goes. It right. went from assisting to associate to choreographing to co-directing and sometimes even now writing um, right. the shows because it's been a constant in my life for like almost 25 years. So, yeah. So, yeah. Ships, so that was. Cruise ships have been a big portion of your life. I mean, your story sounds very parallel to mine. Like that's the same thing yeah. that happened to me is like when you go and perform and then you get that opportunity where somebody sees something in you and they say, Hey, do you want to come and teach? And I mean, it's, it's a great transition. And I mean, cruise ships really, that's how I know you. And I've, I've known you from that and mentoring people. And so you see so many people go through and um, you really were a big, big aspect in everybody's life in those cruise ships. So it really was, um, it really was special for a lot of people when you were doing all those things. Yeah, I, I mean, the thing about ships that I love is um, you can be so completely creative because there's no um, – th- the show doesn't have to be a specific way. It can be anything from a Broadway review to a Vegas review to an original story to – it can just – you creatively, you can just kind of open your mind to make anything you want. And if the right line likes that pitch, then you can go and just play and have fun. and. Sure. Um, it's just, it's been great. And then being able to do other things. So I'm still able to do other type of jobs and then bring the knowledge that I gain from the other jobs back to, back to the ships. Um, but in the friendships, like the friendships that were formed from my cast to, you know, Stiletto and you and, and everybody that are still my dear friends is, you know, it's, that doesn't really come too much because other jobs don't last as long. Right. So it was, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the lifelong friendships were absolutely a big bonus. And so, yeah, cruise ships were a big portion, um, of my life, your life. I mean, that, that industry, especially stiletto, they, there was a lot of people that stayed a long time and I know some things happened and kind of, um, kind of dissolved a little bit, but at what point did you think you wanted to do more? Did you tell yourself, like, I feel like I need to branch out and do more? Or was it, was it somebody make the decision for you? What happened and what, what did you do after that? Well, I was super lucky, because, or maybe, I, I don't know, maybe I'll pat myself on the back and just say I was smart in the sense that I just never, never believed anything that is so good is going to last forever. Right. Um, so all through the cruise ship process, I was constantly grabbing other opportunities as they came to me. And for instance, the Jamie King thing, mm-hmm. um, because he also saw in me as a dancer that I had this left and right brain right. that he would utilize me, um, for other jobs. So one of the first things he asked me to do was to assist him on a Ricky Martin, 
uh, award show where Ricky was performing La Vida Loca for the first time. Oh. So that was like my entryway into that pop world. Um, and so Jamie, he had his normal assistants that he used, but I kind of called myself like the relief or the swing. And so whenever those opportunities would come around, I would grab it. So yeah. I got to be supervising choreographer on the Spice Girls reunion tour and Celine Dion's taking chances tour and wow. n numerous other things. And as I did that, I started out with Jamie more as a supervising choreographer, which is a really cool position because you basically are the liaison between the director and the choreographers and making sure that everybody is on point with what their piece in a concert is supposed to be, what props they use, what parts of the stage they use, what style he wants, what the wardrobe or props will look like. So, um, wow. I really learned a lot about directing by being sure. in that position and then Jamie started to see that quality in me as well. And so then he's the one who actually moved me from being a supervising choreographer to an associate director. Um, and then that has sort of become more my line um, than anything. And I have to say, I think I enjoy it the most. Oh, okay. Um, because I love teaching class and I love giving knowledge of of you know, the joy of dance and jazz and all that. But nowadays, this, the type of dance is so fast and so intricate and so out of my realm mm -hmm. as far as what they're doing on these award shows that it's not my strength anymore. My strength right. is really more the big picture, how everything comes together, the visuals, the video content, the, the costumes, the music, once again, supervising the choreographers to give um, the right look for whether it be an industrial or a star mm -hmm. um so yeah so jamie was really the one who kind of trained me i guess subconsciously because i didn't even yeah. know he was doing it um and then that's kind of been more i'd say that's on my resume more now than anything is um is associate director do you find making that transition? I know people ask me this too, so I love finding out from people. You leave performing. Do you ever miss it? Do you ever miss feeling creative? Do you uh, do you miss being on stage? Do you miss any of that? Oh, hundred percent. If anybody um, <laughs> ever follows my feed, they know that if there's a costume in the wardrobe room and there's an hour where I have nothing to do, I'm probably going to go put that costume on and learn <laughs> choreography from the show. So, um, yeah, no, I got lucky like a couple of years ago, um, Tabitha Napoleon put me in a Honda commercial and I was like, yes, direct booking. I'll take it. Um, I just, anything like that, I grab it at a hundred percent. I still love to dance. I still yeah. love to teach and, and that, and even on this, I'm working on this Mary Kay industrial in yeah. Dallas, Texas right now. And we had to divide and conquer because something came up at the last minute. They needed another number. And so the choreographer, Kevin Wilson, and myself went into one room and choreographed a cute little kick line musical theater number while the associate choreographer, Sienna Lyons, was in the big room blocking another number with 10 different dancers. So wow. those opportunities still come around. I'll still have mm -hmm. to come up with some eights here and there as long as it's in within my realm if it's a musical theater jazz type thing yeah. um and even for the cruise ships the cruise ships um you know i'll still have to jump in and and choreograph singers or choreograph something i still choreograph for 
the acapella group straight no chaser i still do all right. their staging and so i'm lucky because i still do get um some creative some some creative outlooks on things and um in a physical way because obviously being associate director is still creative it's just not physically creative so yeah, so i, I still what... get to kickball change <laughs> <laughs> and your instagram like it's completely all that it's so much fun to watch yes but I think that's, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said your associate directing or anything behind the scenes is still creative. It's just not physical, but there is a humongous creativity outlet in it. What now are you noticing that you're using more creatively? Like, how are you using that um, to quench your thirst for entertainment? Um, it's really like, it's what I learned from Jamie. It's, um, as you're working through the project and you're, you're seeing the video content and you're creating the video content and then you're working with the wardrobe person on the costume because the costume has to be cohesive with the video content. Mm. And then you're sitting with the choreographer and going, okay, here is the video content that we're thinking of. Here is the costume. This is the shoe the dancer is going to wear. Um, please keep that in mind because it needs to be in within this style or we're changing up the music a bit so it's not so pop it's going to be a little more jazz or whatnot and so when you have all these meetings with these people separately and then you stop into rehearsal and you see the dancers bringing the choreography to life um, but then when you finally get to the venue and all of it comes together and it comes together the way you pictured it in your mind, yeah. um, that's, it's just amazing because like, for instance, this Mary Kay industrial, the stage is 153 feet wide. Whoa. It's got 11 video screens, led screens, you know, projection screens. Um, it's got circle stages. It's got a satellite stage. So you know, each element was super important, but all separate in separate departments. And so then when all of everybody puts everything together into one and you see it for the first time, it can be, it can really be overwhelming because sure. you've spent months, months putting it together and having these phone meetings and mm -hmm. emails, 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 emails. And then finally you see it and it just, it's like, it's the greatest payoff. It's it's pretty it's pretty amazing and the detail i mean that's the thing where jamie king is such a genius is his eye for detail it's not just yeah. any content it's just not any color it's just not like you really have to to capture um creatively what what you want the audience to experience sure and i think what people don't may not know about you listening to this is that you're probably one of the most organized people i know and I think <laughs> you can't get to that level of entertainment and be disorganized. There's always somebody that's going to, that you have to have all the emails in order. You have to have your schedule, your budgets, all of that stuff. That's something that you don't necessarily learn when you're in school or when you're younger, just in the industry. You really have to stay super, super organized. And even when I was working with you and you were mentoring me, like I remember your scheduling was so on point. You could shift puzzle pieces around. If one thing went out of place, you're like, we're going to do this, that, this, that, that. And it just wound up working. So I really think that's super important for people to know is that you have to be on top of every single detail so that the show does actually go on and I feel like there's so many times when you've been part of a show and it was going to dissolve and you were like no I'm going to 
you're going to take over the reins and you're going to do it. And it magically happened. So it's definitely a, a trait that people should start honing in on for sure. Yeah. I mean, and the, 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 I, I mean, I would say I'm OCD. <laughs> I, would say, I would say I go beyond organizing a little OCD. Yeah. Um, but it is, I think the, what the benefit of the younger generation has over me is, um, I really did have to learn like, um, computer skills, for instance, you know, what? I didn't, I didn't have that. I, you know, when I went to school, it was when computers were just starting. So these huge, massive machines and you had to actually write the program, you know, and then the <laughs> next thing is all of a sudden I'm making, you know, a creative plot for Jamie on a Mac using, yeah. you know, key- Keynote or whatever and tr- just trying to figure it out and just, you know, creating spreadsheets and all that kind of stuff. So it is really on the job training. You mm-hmm. just have to jump in and go for it. And, and the, the real it. The thing that's hardest about it now is um, it is the managing of managing of all the departments. So yeah. it's it mm-hmm. is taking those hours to go through and sort through every email to make sure you answered them all because you'll get hundreds. You'll wake up in the morning and there's hundreds of new emails mm-hmm. and you really have to take the time to read through them and cross your T's and dot your I's because you really if you like you said, if you let one thing fall through the cracks, mm-hmm. um, it's just a, it's a domino effect and it can, it can, it can end up costing the client a lot more money because then they have to go back and fix it. And those type of things cost money. So, um, it is tedious. You do have to be organized. Um, being OCD is definite, definitely a plus. Yes, for sure. (laughs) Just off the topic real quick. What's your number one pet peeve with emails? Sending, receiving, whatever. My my number one pet peeve would would be when people don't respond. Like oh. nowadays, yeah, nowadays if you know we have our phones and everything's on our phones. Yeah. So if I don't, if I write to somebody and it's urgent, and I'll usually write in the subject line, you know, this is urgent. Please respond quickly or whatever it may mm-hmm. be. And if it's five, six, seven, eight hours later and I still haven't heard anything, Ooh. that can be that can really just tie up the process because yeah. there's a lot of times decisions need to be made quickly. So, um, and then I would say my second pet peeve would be if I've answered the question and they're asking what I've already written because they didn't take the time to actually read, read my it. email. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. read the email. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes that will be my response. Yeah. Just read my email. Yeah. As previously said. Yeah, (laughs) my my, one of my I didn't even think about those. One of mine is when you're in a group message and people reply all it's my pet peeve for some reason. Oh, you you can reply just to (laughs) just what you need to say to the person. But the reply all we don't need to hear you're okay. We don't need to hear your your side of it. Just just respond (laughs) to the person it needs to be sent to. We can save ourselves a few, you know, Things dings. in our emails, a so we few don't have dings to go back the into phone. the. Yes. Um, so that's sorry, sorry, off topic. But now that you're no, working, no worries. You're working behind the scenes a lot, which is super fantastic. I see all your things. What are what's some advice that you would give to people that are wanting to get into the industry now? That you're seeing trends or bad habits or things. Some advice that you would just give to uh, to people. Biggest advice I tell 
I tell young dancers um, is to keep your eyes open to all aspects of the business, mm-hmm. um, for sure. Um, secondly, to be courteous and grateful and thankful to every single person that is working there, um, because everybody is just an imp- just as an important component to the performance as you are. Yeah. So the stage manager, the lighting person, you know, the sound person. So to be gracious and grateful and um, courteous and follow etiquette, um, to never be entitled or a braggart or any of those things, um, to be well-rounded. Like mm-hmm. once again, I'm just going to reference the job I'm working on now. The dancers, I have one of the best, most spectacular casts I've ever worked with wow. on this job, on this Mary Kay job. And it's because these dancers are incredibly well-rounded. Um, they're doing a contemporary barefoot piece. They're doing a very um, hip, cool, pop, run the world, salute type piece. They're doing, um, there's tap, there's Ooh. hip-hop, there's musical theater. There's, I mean, there's really everything um, in this industrial. We, we've hit it all. There, There's a respect think medley so they're doing old school motown they're so they're well-rounded and they're great performers and they're kind and they're fun they're on time they're grateful and gracious and so i love going to work with them every day and um that's that's really the most you can ask for is Mm -hmm. keep your eyes open be appreciative and that doesn't mean get walked on by any means um stand up for yourself but um but just, you know, do it the right way. Be gracious and kind and, and use your agent to do the dirty work because they're the ones that are supposed to deal with that and you're not yeah. supposed to take that in. So <laughs> I guess, I don't know if I answered the question. No, but yeah, that... of course. <laughs> no, I get it. I, I'm the same thing. We, you know, we've used so much talent around the world, dancers, singers, whatever it may be. And you notice the people that are the most well-rounded. Like you said, yep. some people v- stray away from either ballet or tap. But I really feel like the more you know, the more the, your possibilities are endless. When you, It's great to be a, a, an amazing modern dancer, an mo- amazing contemporary dancer. But if you can really do all those other things, you never know for a project. Like you said, you could be a last-minute number could pop up and they need people to do it. And it's a musical theater. Or it's a tap number. And if you could do it, I feel like the, the the possibilities are more endless for you as a performer that way for sure. No, absolutely. absolutely. Um, so quickly, if you had a top five jobs that you've ever done that you've loved doing, what would they be? Oh, goodness. Okay. Um, I would say this is up there, this Mary Whoa. Kay industrial um, because I was, it's a first time working with this director, Michael Schwant. Mm-hmm. He is very, um, gracious and is trusted me immensely on this job. And that's rare to never have worked for somebody, but to be given so much trust. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really empowering and wonderful to be such a big part of a, of a, of a job for my first time with a director mm-hmm. um, and the cast. So this, yeah. this is definitely up in the top five and the it's, it's huge it and beautiful and amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would say the most rewarding would be Ricky Martin's residency in Vegas. Oh yeah. Um, Jamie mm-hmm. and I worked 
really, really hard. They were long, long days. And we gave our hearts and souls for that job. And um, it was so beautiful. And Jamie was so gracious and amazing. And I learned so much. But Ricky was also so kind and gracious and amazing and talented. Um, And we all all busted our butts, everybody, choreographers and dancers, everybody. So I would say Ricky Martin uh, would definitely be up there. Um, I would say Straight No Chaser is Mm. up in the top five, um, mostly because I have seen the growth that when I started working with them 10 years ago, they were very stiff. (laughs) <laughs> and kind of closed off to making fun of themselves and um and now they're like they actually dance and they have a lot of fun and we have a lot of fun together and they're real really loyal to me yeah and what's really cool is like actually next week um we are filming a pbs special and they're entrusting me to be not only choreographer but to also help direct Wow. The PBS special. Wow, good job. So once again, the payoff of being loyal and and always doing that, I, I guess, with them, just being there and them being for me is amazing and the friendships. Um, I would say um, another huge memory is one of the first shows that I co-choreographed with John uh, mm-hmm. for Hall in America, and that was um, That's Vegas. Um, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, it was John and I just had a blast. We clicked. We the show turned out amazing. I yeah. think it was some of our best partner work. I mean, you danced it. I mean, yeah. it was some of the best partner work, some of the best dancing. I mean, John and I have so many numbers that I could just list for days that I love. But sure. that was like the first big one because it was a Vista ship. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of Patty couldn't do it. And so I had to just jump in and the cast was great. So that was hugely rewarding. Yeah. Um, and then I guess for me as a dancer personally, it would probably be Prince. Just yeah. those dancers, being surrounded by those dancers, being on stage with him, you know, an icon, a genius um, yeah. is, you know, it's that's memories never going to ever leave my head for as long as I live. So, yeah, and, I would and, say I, if I had to list five, that would be it. Those are amazing five. And you know what? I feel like just listening to those top five, what you were saying is experience. Your experience in a project really affects yeah. how much you're going to enjoy it. And you're right. Yeah. If if one aspect of it, if you said not saying that any cast that you've ever worked for has been horrible, but if you have people that aren't as welcoming or not willing to work with you, then it makes the whole experience falls to the wayside and it makes the it falls out of your top 10 out of your top 20 just because it just leaves the sour taste in your mouth so i really i really agree with you experiences and getting to know everybody on on the project that's people you never know who you're going to run into technician wise a lighting designer or a sound person that you're going to meet again because it I mean the world is just so small the entertainment world is just too small for all of that but yeah i agree with oh, you absolutely i agree with everything um, any last minute advice you would like to give to people that are getting into the industry or that are trying to find a transition out of performing or have gotten injured or need a new outlet? It's really just, there's so many aspects to our business that are there for you. If you observe and keep your eyes open, that you can still be involved creatively. If you can't 
you know, God forbid you can't dance anymore because of an injury mm-hmm. or you're just auditioning and not getting that job. I mean, everything from being a wardrobe person on right. a TV show or for a Broadway show to being a makeup artist um, on a TV show, a movie or whatever, to being a casting agent yeah. to, um, you know, to being, uh, you know, the director of entertainment for a cruise line or yeah. a theme park or um, a sound mixer or somebody who makes reels or websites for sure. choreographers, dancers, directors, um, working in an agency, a talent agency, a management agency. There's just so many. And if you have experience in the field and you observed all of that and took all that information in, there's so many things that you can do that still put you in that fun entertainment world, mm-hmm. um, even though you may not be the person performing anymore. So just keep your eyes open because it's endless. Yeah, there are without and without all those people, sometimes performing doesn't really happen. You have to have wardrobe, you have to have makeup, you have to have those agents, you have to have the directors or that that performing opportunity might not be there for you. So it makes total sense. And I think once you open your mind up to everything as well, you can find other things to do. And sometimes starting your own thing is, is sometimes even more fulfilling. So, oh, for sure. 100%. Yeah, I totally agree. Last th- question. What's your dream job from now? Oh my goodness. Uh, that's, uh, gosh. Okay. Dream job. Dream You've job. done so much already. Um, your resume, your life skills, everything is so impressive. But if you just had a dream job and you said in the next five or 10 years, I would love to do this, it would be. It would be, um, you know what? I, I wouldn't mind being on this side of the table for a Broadway show. Um, something, yeah, something, if there was something new and, and more contemporary, not contemporary in the modern sense, but contemporary commercial in the commercial sense. Right. Um, if, you know, if something were to come along in those lines, um, I, that would be a, it would be a really great challenge. Um, and it would be something I haven't done. So Mm -hmm. I would say, yeah, it would be really cool to be involved in a, in a new Broadway show. Ooh, and those take forever. I feel like yeah. those take a really long time. Yes. A new little fast in your time. belt. Um, thanks so yes. much, Jill. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Teej. And um, I will talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining in on the conversation. To view additional content, follow E's podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Be sure to subscribe and leave comments on the episode wherever this podcast can be found. See you next week.